Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. Want to give a quick shout out to those sharing this podcast in Wisconsin. Awesome friends there. Illinois, Texas, Alabama. Hey, thanks so much. Those shares go a long way. Would you join and hit the share button too? So what are you good at? Like actually good at? This is something we're diving into today. Let's discover your gifting and how you're using it. Because the quality of this life and really the next life, it depends on it. So let's talk. Hope you stay with. Here we go. Well, I want to throw you a question just to kind of kick off this time, and this is going to be a question that you're not going to want to answer uh, really at all, but I still want you to answer it. And it's not like you have to answer it out loud. In fact, please don't answer it out loud. Just answer it to yourself. But I really want you to answer this, this question, and here it is. The question is, is, what are you good at? What are you good at? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I'm nothing, not really good at anything, you know, I'm just kind of humble. Okay, that's not humility, that's fake humility. You're good at something, so what is it? You're good with numbers, good with kids, good with marketing, good with leadership, good with your hands. What are you good at? This is, this is a tough question to answer because often we are really, really bad judges of ourselves. I, I taught my daughter how to play tennis a couple weeks ago, and, uh, and, and we, we tried it for a while. And after we got done trying, she said to me, she said, Dad, I'm convinced I have to go out for tennis. I'm a tennis player. But one out of 50, one hits out of 50, and it was, Dad, I'm born to play tennis. And I see this a lot in church. Like a lot of times uh, people want to sing or uh, they want to preach, and, and they'll say, you know, that, that's my gift. I really I enjoy it so much. I'm really good at it. People always say really nice things. Not realizing people say nice things to be nice. Often people say nice things, like the more nice things you hear is often like, I did a really bad job, they're just trying to make me feel better. But a lot of people will go throughout life trying to become someone that they're just not built to be. Like my daughter's probably not going to be the next Serena Williams. And I know I sound like a, a terrible dad. You know, well, a good dad would say you can be whatever you want. You just got to dream big enough and work hard enough. Oh, what a load of crap. The, the, the really... <laughs> the really successful people in life, they find what they're good at, and then they work even harder at it. Like, that's the sweet spot. This is why Michael Jordan was good at basketball and not baseball. Michael Jordan was a hard worker, but he was good at one and not the other. Okay, yes, the recipe for success is hard work, of course, but it's also being good at it. I think that, like, the movie Rudy, have you ever see this movie? I like this movie. For the record, I think it's a great movie, inspirational movie, um, good lessons. I think Rudy is a tragedy. Rudy, good guy, not a good football player. And pretty much the whole movie is about him pursuing something he's just not good at. He works his tail off to get one tackle in one game in one play at Notre Dame. I don't know. Sounds like a waste to me. Like, imagine if Rudy would have taken that tenacity, that time, that hard work, and would have plugged it into something he was actually good at be like a huge success story. See, answering this question correctly is a really big deal. So I just want you to think about it for a second. What are you good at? And did you know that you're going to give an account to God for what you did with what you're good at? He's going to ask you one day, I made you good at this. What did you do with it? Did you pursue it? Did you craft it? Did you excel at it? Did you aim it at the kingdom? Or did you deny it, wishing you were good at something else, pursuing something else, or just using it all for yourself? And you will have to answer that question. 
Oh, we got to talk about what you're good at and how you're using it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've been going through this book. Last week we hit 1 Corinthians 11. Luke was up here. Didn't he do an awesome job, Luke Hepfer? We've got to have that guy back up here. Yeah, absolutely. Clap for that guy. Definitely got to have him back up here. He hit uh, chapter 11. Today we hit chapter 12. And uh, we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians this year, just hitting the reset button on our uh, relationships, on our leadership, on our submission, on sex, on our mind. And this book has been really what the doctor has ordered after the year 2020. And now we've hit chapter 12 today. Let me pray and we'll just dive right in. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you uh, that you speak. Uh, You will speak. God, I, I pray that we listen. I ask that we eliminate all distractions of what we got going on this afternoon, what we got going on this week, things that we got to shore up and tie up from last week. I I pray that you take us right now and really focus us into your word, because this will make all the difference. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the lens of Scripture zooms in on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we enter into a city that we've called home, really, for the last six months, and that is Corinth, Greece. The cold, salty... Mediterranean crawls up the sand as the waves push the seafoam up the beach. The sailors at the docks unload their last bit of cargo and they're checking the knots to make sure their boat is secured tight for the night. The sun has disappeared behind one of the distant hills, casting a shadow over a city that is now just coming to life. It's rush hour as, as the city, all, out of towners all across the city, make their choice. See, sunset in Corinth means decision time. What will this evening look like? Which bar will I hit? Or which prostitute temple will I hit? What do I do first? Which girl? Which drink? And inevitably, fights break out in the bar and at the bathhouses over girls. See, the ranking on the ships at the harbor aren't respected once you enter the city. It's a free-for-all as everyone fights to get the best seat, the popular girl, the next drink, and an open room. And tomorrow... The boat crews will all fall back into rank and sail their ships. But tonight, it's every man for himself as they take what they can get. And the chaos within the streets of Corinth is a bit illustrative of what is happening within the church. Everyone in church is trying to find some sort of rank, some sort of system of seniority, a pecking order, if you will, within the church family. And as a result, just like the evening in Corinth, in the city, the church finds itself stepping on each other's toes. There's fighting, there's splitting, there's dividing, there's competing. Yeah, tomorrow the boat crews will all find their rank and and man their ship. Each sailor will do their job tomorrow morning. But what does it look like in the church? How does the church unite and set sail? And Paul writes them in chapter 12. He says, by doing what you're good at, a team works when everyone champions their role. Ah, this is so good. Look what he writes. Verse 11. I jump in. He says, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit. And we kind of came in halfway or partway through a thought. So let me just kind of catch us up to, to this chapter so far. Uh, all of these refers to spiritual gifts that were popular, very popular in the church during this time. So before scripture was canonized, the church leaned very heavily on speaking in tongues, uh, prophecy, interpreting tongues, and healing. This was a sign of God's word because the New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. Much of it even hadn't been written yet. And so the early church leaned very heavily on these supernatural gifts. And so Paul is saying all of these gifts are empowered by the Spirit. Now we talked a little bit about this last week, but the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus Christ to empower believers to do the work of Jesus Christ. 
Now here, Paul is making a very, very, very important statement, and I don't want us to fly by this. See, so often uh, Christians can romanticize the Holy Spirit. In fact, some Christians get just like, I've heard some really outlandish, crazy things that some Christians do with like the Holy Spirit. Um, and it becomes like this very emotional, experiential theology. I've seen people even like sexualize the Holy Spirit in, in some different ways. It's a very, very dangerous, dangerous thing to do. And, and this is kind of what was happening in the Corinthian church. And so Paul is addressing that here. So implicitly here in verse 11, and this is so big, Paul is getting at evidence of the Holy Spirit is unity. And that's a big statement right there. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is unity. You want a sign that the Holy Spirit is being followed in your marriage. You want a sign that the Holy Spirit is being followed in your church. You want a sign that the Holy Spirit is being followed within your relationships. It's unity. See, I get a lot of uh, emails from people asking, a Junior, is the bridge a spirit-filled church? And to me, this is just kind of an odd question. So I always respond, well, what do you mean by that? Now I know what like 99% of the people ask this mean. They want to know, does the bridge speak in tongues and prophesy? Are we trying to heal people? Do we have these very emotional experiences? Because to many Christians, that is a sign of a spirit-filled church. That is evidence. No, 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 no. Unity is evidence. We are empowered by one spirit, the same spirit, to bring people together as a team, as a family, to accomplish the mission. That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working. Now, that might not be as sexy as like big healing sessions and speaking in foreign languages during the service, but the Holy Spirit works to bring people together to accomplish the mission that Jesus set us off to do. So the Holy Spirit empowers our gifting and brings us together. Paul continues on. He says, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, this means right here, this means you, if you follow Jesus Christ, you are uniquely gifted. There is a specific position that God wants you to fill in his kingdom at the local church. So where has God gifted you? For some, you're an organizer, right? You got the house running like a well-oiled machine. You're schooling the kids. You're scheduling. You're paying bills. You got the meals all set, play dates, multitasker, organizer, manager. God wants to use that. Now, maybe you're more relational. Maybe you're just, like, really good at hospitality. People come over to your house, and from second number one, they feel uh, very cared for. They're enjoying their time. They feel relaxed. You're just very, very hospitable. God wants to use that. Maybe you run a company. Maybe you run a franchise. Maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're gifted musically. You have been apportioned a gift, and you will answer for it. I love thinking about the church like a boat. Actually, the, the early church saw themselves as a boat a lot. In fact, a lot of early church graffiti, uh, like outside of meeting places, archaeology has shown us outside of church meeting places, were often uh, inscriptions like this of, of boats. In fact, I got this on my arm. I love this so much. Um, the, the church saw themselves as a boat. It's kind of like their logo. Uh, as they go throughout the seas of life, they are headed one day to their final harbor. And so if we consider what we have right here, a, a boat... This is not a cruise ship, you know, where you sit back, be served, enjoy the ride. Now, there are those times in the church, but this is not a cruise ship. It's also a battleship. We all have a role to play, a job to do, a piece to own. And the Holy Spirit has given you a specific gift to plug into the ship. But our tendency is to take what we are good at and turn it inward. 
make money with it, uh, make a name for ourselves, which is fine, but never actually plug it into God's kingdom. We have a tendency to take what we are good at and use it only for ourselves. Uh, pastors, I will say this, confession time, pastors are notorious for this. And this is something that we're constantly keeping ourselves in, in check at the bridge. A lot of pastors uh, claim to have the gift of teaching. Most of us don't. It's just we just want to think we're really good at teaching. And the reason a lot of us like to be, you know, think we're good at teaching is we like to use the stage as a platform to fuel egos, like to be center of the stage. Same thing can happen with uh, singers and musicians. Some people really like the attention, and so they take their gift and they turn it inward to feed themselves, to feed their own ego, to get the spotlight. So this is why we are very careful with who we put up here at the bridge. We want people up here who are actually actually have the gift, but also who aren't using it to fuel their own attention craving. But it's not just the stage. We all have this tendency. You do the same thing as I do. I mean, come on, I do. I'll tell you one, one thing. Um, one thing I'm good at is uh, I'm, a, I'm a writer. And I don't say that to brag because it's just, that's kind of a lame thing to be good at, but I, I'm, I can write. Um, I write for our teaching team. Uh, I write for Moody Radio. And then sometimes I do some like little feature pieces here and they're nothing bigger or noteworthy. But um, so I can write. And this last winter, I got to thinking, it's like, what if I wrote a book? And what if people actually bought this book? I was dreaming up all the things I could do. I could be a full-time writer. I could write from anywhere. I could be my own boss. If I sold enough books, I could get a little spot in southern Florida or on the Mississippi coast. And then maybe a cabin up here. Maybe rent a flat in Israel part-time. I mean, Nicole homeschools so we could just kind of come and go as we please. Like, I had this grand plan. And it was all about me. It had nothing to do with, you know, the kingdom or, uh, you know, boosting churches or encouraging Christians. It was all about what I think would be fun for me. I actually deleted my partially written book. I just, I had the wrong heart. Now, I'm not saying that, like, aspirations are wrong. It's, it's good to be driven. It's, it's not wrong to, you know, dream of success. But it is wrong. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it is wrong for you to take what you are good at, working with kids, making money, leading teams, engineering, and turn it inwardly to only use for yourself. And when we turn our gifts inward and only use it for us, this is when the church hurts. This is when the church or the ship starts spinning, even sinking, and everyone's pointing their fingers at everybody else as the ship goes down. That was the struggle with the church in Corinth. And Paul is reminding them, the Holy Spirit has gifted you. The gift isn't for you. The gift is for the church. It's how you make a difference, and you will answer for that. So what are you good at? Like, what are you actually good at? Not what you think would be cool or what you really want to do. What are you actually good at? And are you leveraging that for the kingdom of God? Paul continues on, verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So we have Paul here equating the church not to a ship, but to a body. The body's pretty incredible. Like right now, as you're listening to me, your outer ear is channeling my voice into your inner ear. And your inner, your inner ear, your eardrum is sending vibrations to tiny little bones in your middle ear. And those tiny little bones are amplifying the vibrations from the eardrum and sending it to a fluid-filled structure in your inner ear. As that fluid ripples, it sends waves down the membrane. The membrane triggers microscopic hair cells. All of this converts to an electrical signal. That electrical signal then travels down the auditory nerve, and your brain is deciphering that information. 
All of that is happening right now through your ear. It's crazy. I mean, the human body is incredible. Without you having to think about it, your heart is pumping blood to all of your extremities to keep them alive. Your lungs are taking oxygen in from the room and oxygenating your blood. Your stomach is converting breakfast into energy to make all of this happen. The human body is incredible. And what Paul is getting at here is that is how seamless, that is how powerful, that is how incredible the church is supposed to operate. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a part to play gifted by the Holy Spirit and assigned to a task to move the ship further, to move the ship faster. And when the church is firing on all cylinders, man, watch out. You think the body's incredible. The church can change the world. It has and it will. But if you think about it, if those tiny little bones in your middle ear decided, you know, we're out. Nobody ever talks about us. In fact, the outer ear gets all the jewelry hung on it we don't get the recognition we deserve. And if your tiny little uh, bones in your middle ear decide to just stop working, the eardrum no longer really matters, the, the fluid, the membrane, the electrical current, the auditory nerve, just useless because one part refuses to work with the rest. And it's the same with the church. Some of you are fingers. Some of you are bones. We know John Knauts is the uh, dry elbow. <laughs> We're all, we're all different parts, all different parts, making up one body. And the Holy Spirit is directing and assigning. And when one part refuses to plug in their gifting, it affects the whole. And the scary part about that thought is, is how many people is God looking at going, you're holding my church back. I've gifted you. I've assigned you. I've given you a role. Why are you refusing to plug in? My body is held back right now. Why are you refusing your gift? There are three main reasons that we don't leverage our gift for the kingdom. Three main reasons that we don't plug our gifting into the church. Uh, the first is we're selfish. Selfishness. We want to use what we're good at only for personal gain. Actually, what often happens, to be fair, is we'll spend our week doing what we're good at. Because this is how we make a living. So we're organizing, or we're leading, or we're teaching, or we're brewing, or we're designing. It's how we make a living, and that's okay. In fact, that's a good thing. But what happens, though, is often we get toward the end of the week, you know, Friday afternoon, and we'll go, I'm tired. I don't want to lead anyone. I don't want to organize anything. I don't want to prepare any more lessons. I just want to go to church, sit back, rest a little bit before hitting the ground running on Monday. And I totally get that. Problem is, is when we do that, we're only using our gifting for personal gain. And God's kingdom is seeing none of it. Do you really want to give an account to God for that? Second reason we don't plug our gifting into the church is pride. Pride. I can't tell you how many times uh, I'll talk with guys who uh, really, really, really want to teach. And as a rule of thumb, uh, I turn down people who request to, to preach on the weekends. Uh, usually people who are itching to get on the stage aren't the people that we want up on the stage. But I'll talk to many people who will say, you know, Junior, they'll catch me after, Junior, Junior, I, I'm a preacher. I, it is my gift. It's like, oh, cool. How do you know? Well, I like it, and people always say nice things when I preach. It's like, is that the part you like? But often I'll say, you know, hey, you know, Bridge Kids needs teachers. That's a great place to start. There's a huge need there. In fact, you're a guy, and, uh, and, and children today really need to see godly men leading. So you should go, and you should lead in Bridge Kids and teach in Bridge Kids. That would be awesome. Never really get taken up on that. Because often it's, I want the stage and the spotlights, or I want nothing. It's pride. 
It's, it's, not, it's not about need. It's about what I want. No, it's about what the body needs and about what you can do. Serving requires humility. Serving always requires humility. Using your gift of the kingdom will always require some sort of humility. As some of the lay volunteers at the bridge run corporations, some of you do. Um, you run businesses, and, and you actually follow the direction of the church staff. They're running businesses, more staff than the church staff has. But they come in here and they say, I'll humbly serve. Or Luke Kepfer spoke last weekend. It's no secret. Guy's gifted. Gifted communicator. He's better than me. And I'm not just saying that. He is further along than I am. But leading up to the week where he spoke, he can tell me how many times. He called me and said, Junior, just tell me what to do, man. I'll, I'll do whatever. Just tell me what to do. That's humility. He's better than me. True service requires humility. I learned this lesson a big when I first came on staff at the bridge. I was the janitor. So uh, I was mopping floors and taking out the garbage. I hated it. Like, just graduated Bible college and mopping floors thinking, this is what I went to Bible college for? I took years of theology. Like, I can, I can lead. I can teach. Come on. And I was like, great. Here's a brush. Go scrub the toilet. Then I started preaching. But I was still the janitor when I was preaching. So I would get up here. I would preach. And then after you all would leave, I would grab a mop bucket and I would clean up after you. And for years, I did this. It's as if God was teaching me throughout this time, a junior, if you think what you just did in the spotlight is better than taking out the garbage, then you got a long ways to go. It's very humbling for me, and it has stuck with me. True service requires humility. This is why Scripture often repeats over and over and over, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself before God. That humble yourself is a verb. It's not this like feeling. I'm supposed to feel humble. No, this, it's an action. You have to humble yourself. You have to make yourself do something seemingly below you. This is why we have CEOs who lead teams of paid staff in, throughout the week, but when they come into church, they just say, I'll lead a small group of kids. I'll lead a team of greeters. Whatever you need. We have pediatricians who come to our church who lead teams of pediatricians. But when they walk into the church, they'll just say, Put me in the nursery, I'll hold some babies. Been doing it all week, kind of done with it, but if this is where I make an impact, it's whatever, it's whatever you need. That's serving, that's humbling, that's following the Holy Spirit and championing your role. But often, it's pride that keeps us from going there. Third thing that keeps us from going there is laziness. Laziness. The church is fine. Seems like they got things going smoothly. I'm not really needed, so I can just kind of sit back. Relax, enjoy this ship like a cruise ship. I've been talking to a couple friends um, who are small business owners who are struggling right now to find workers. I guess unemployment is paying out more than most small businesses can pay their employees. And so a lot of people are just saying, well, I'll just stay home and get paid. And so they're staying home. Actually, I tried to go to Wild Burger uh, last Monday. It was closed. The, the owner was outside. He's like, you're never closed on Mondays. He's like, yeah, my workers... Um, have worked for months straight. I can't hire anybody to like fill a role. I had to give them a day off. So I'm just, I just closed the business on Monday to give them, give them a day off. I, I guess it's a problem right now. Like nobody wants to work. And that, that's a problem. And that can happen in the church. Statistically, 20% of church attenders make up for 80% of the giving and the serving. So you have 20% of church attenders really pulling the weight. Imagine if that 20% was 90%. Imagine how much more the church could do in the community. Sometimes what keeps us from, plug, from plugging in, getting our hands dirty, leveraging the gift, and pushing this thing forward is they're still lazy. And when one of these three things happen, when one part of the body refuses to work, it affects the whole, and the body is held back. 
You are one part of the whole, and you matter to the body. Are you possibly holding it back? Verse 13, he continues on. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So this is just like this repeating theme throughout the chapter. The Holy Spirit unites. The Holy Spirit unites. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is unity. It's not a race that brings us together. It's not a political party that brings us together. It's not a social movement that brings us together. It is not our status that brings us together. We are here because of Jesus Christ united by the Holy Spirit. We are baptized into one body. We are made to drink of one spirit. This is why I love looking over the auditoriums of, of the bridge. Uh, part of me wishes I could just be like at one place each weekend but it bounce around. And one of the nice things about bouncing around is that I get to like, see our, our whole church. And I love looking over each auditorium and seeing guys with suits sitting next to guys with like, full-on piercings. Uh, older, classy ladies sitting next to young, more poor, single moms. And somehow we worship together every weekend. And not just worship together, but we work together. Like guys in suits are serving next to guys wearing leather bike vests. You have yuppie, middle-class, vanilla moms running ministries with ex-addicts. Like nothing should bring us together except for the Holy Spirit. And that speaks volumes to a divided world that can't get together on anything. It's one body, many different parts. And the Holy Spirit is orchestrating and empowering it all. And this is the idea that's repeated throughout the rest of the chapter. A few observations, these are in your notes, but a few observations to reset your service. Understand, number one, ability plus spirit-filled equals gifting. Your ability, which you're good at, plus of being filled by the spirit, is your gift. Now, to be fair, uh, some Christian brothers and sisters would disagree with me on, on this equation. They see this equation very differently. Uh, some believe that when you become a believer, when you decide to follow Jesus, you get this whole new gift, like a whole new ability that you didn't have before. And that's fine. They can believe that. I'm totally cool with that. I've just never seen that. I've never seen someone become a believer, and the next day they wake up and go, holy cow, I can play the guitar. I could never play the guitar yesterday, but now I can. Like I've, I've never actually seen that play out. Never seen that happen. Instead, what I have seen happen, though, is somebody becomes a believer and they surrender everything to God. He is their Lord. Surrender everything, including their natural abilities, to God. God then takes that natural ability, whether it's leading, teaching, earning, whatever it is, and, and God, through the, through the Holy Spirit, fills that gift. When the Holy Spirit fills that gift, watch out. The impact is much bigger. Now, now you're impacting eternity. And all of a sudden, that ability has become this special gift. And that gift isn't for you, it's for the church. My gift isn't for me, it's for you. And your gift isn't for you, it's for us. This is the problem that the Corinth church was having. They saw their gifts as, as gifts from God to them. Oh, look at me. Look what I can do. And all this competition. But the gifts were to the church through the people. God blesses the church through the people. But what happens is often we dam up the blessing. We just keep the blessing for us, seeing it as God's gift to me. Now, it's a gift, not to you, but through you to the church. Second observation, number two, prominence does not equal significance. Prominence does not equal significance. Just like the body, some parts are more prominent. So my crooked nose, broke it in soccer in high school, didn't tell my parents to get it reset, so I have this crooked nose. It is very prominent. You're all staring at it right now. It's very prominent on my face. 
my heart is not prominent. My heart is more behind the scenes. My crooked nose might be prominent, but it is not any more significant than my heart. It's the same with the church. Right now, I'm on the stage, more prominent. That does not mean that I am any more significant than the servant who is teaching the children right now. Actually, the fact is, they're probably making a bigger impact than I am. The teacher on the stage is not any more significant than the guys who are running the audio, parking the cars, or brewing coffee. Some gifts might be more rare than others, uh, more prominent than others, but that should never, ever be confused with significance. When we confuse these two, this is when cults form. This is sometimes when church becomes cults because they just go after whatever's prominent. That, sh- that sinks ships and the body gets hurt. I was watching uh, The Last Dance a few weeks ago. Uh, you see this Netflix documentary about the, the Bulls, the Bulls teams? It's pretty good. My favorite part of the documentary is uh, Dennis Rodman. He's such a freak. I love him. He's talking, about, he's talking about his role on the team. And he said this. In fact, I wrote this down. This is so good. He, he said, I learned I was a good rebounder. Nobody else wanted to do it, but I was good at it, so I owned it. That's so freaking good. I was sitting next to one of the other campus pastors, and I was like, that, there's so many lessons in that right there. Like, there's nothing glamorous about rebounding, but it is significant. Rodman was a huge part of the Bulls' success, and he knew his lane, and he owned it. Rodman could have easily been, you know, I don't get the recognition MJ gets. I don't don't get the glamorous, you know, pictures that Michael Jordan gets. I'm going to try to be like Michael Jordan. If Rodman would have done that, he would have been far less significant, and the team would have suffered. Instead, Rodman said, I'm going to own what I'm good at. Nobody else wants to do it. I'm going to own it and champion it. And help the Bulls win. Imagine if we all did that in the church. Learning from Dennis Rodman. Weirdest sermon ever. Number three. <laughs> gifts, gifts minus humility equal division. Gifts minus humility equal division. This is, this is really big. And I will say, this is one of those points that we look at and we go, okay, this is for, uh, this is good, this is good, this is for so-and-so. I wish so-and-so could hear this point. I want you to think that right now. I, I really want you to think this in the context of you. You. A gifted person who rejects humility divides a team, divides businesses, divides churches. Patrick Lencioni is a renowned author. He's a leadership consultant. I've read a few of his books. I heard him teach a couple times live. Just recently, he decided to follow Jesus. Um, So it's kind of cool. Like His natural abilities are now spirit-filled, which is even better. But in one of uh, Patrick's books, he talks about finding the perfect hire. So some of you do hiring. You know, he talks about, here's what you look for in an interview. The right team member that you want to add to your team should be these three things. Humble, hungry, smart. And maybe you've heard this before. Humble, hungry, smart. Humble, hungry, smart. Not proud. Hungry to get better. And smart. Not necessarily smart, book smart, but just like capable of doing their job. He goes on to say, though, Patrick goes on to say that the most dangerous person on your team, the most dangerous person on your staff, the most dangerous person in your church is just hungry and smart not humble. This is the most dangerous equation you can have in somebody. They're hungry, they're going after it, they're smart, they know how to leverage what they're good at and get people on board, but they aren't humble and they will tear apart your team. And a lot of us have seen this happen, a lot of us have felt this happen. One part of my job at the church is whenever we make a hire, I'm one of like the hiring Parts. So I'll like go out to lunch with them or, or hang out with them. In fact, Jansen and I were hanging out with uh, somebody just last Saturday night that we might bring onto the team. And, um, and this is one of the questions that we always ask as a staff afterwards, after the interview, is, okay, humble, hungry, smart. Are, are, we, are we hitting these? In fact, this is the main one. It's hard to judge somebody's humility, but one of the things we always ask is, are they teachable? 
you felt like they were teachable? Or are they trying to come in as like, you know, self-proclaimed experts? And self-proclaimed experts never do well. Are they humble? Do they have this humility? Because if they don't, they will tear apart the staff. They will tear apart the church. They will tear apart the community. Before Lencioni, though, there was Paul writing 1 Corinthians 12, reminding the church, same thing. This isn't about you. This isn't even about what you're good at. It's about the body. It's about plugging into the function of the local church, finding a need, filling the need. But when there's pride, there's division, there's competition, and the boat begins to sink. And so Paul says, humble yourself. True service always requires humility. You might not be prominent, but you are significant. And our gifts, they're not primarily for us. They're for the church. Let me finish with this. Matthew 23, 11 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. This is what Jesus says. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. I love this verse. The greatest among you will be your servant. I grew up in church, and I'll tell you, I've seen this statement play out over and over and over in my life. Even as a kid, I think of uh, a woman named Penny Schmidt. Penny Schmidt lives uh, out in the country, up in Wisconsin, living a very simple life. She's a farmer's wife, one of the sweetest ladies you will ever meet. She's pretty quiet, but she loves Jesus. It's very evident. Uh, each, uh, each week, she volunteered to teach at her local church, and I was one of her kids. And for years, she was my small group leader from like age two, three, all the way up until middle school. So many of the verses that I have memorized, many of the stories that I've learned about Jesus come from her sweet little voice. I was that, I was that kid that you did not want to teach in kids' ministry, but she did. And she loved me like a ton, and she taught me, and, and she helped me memorize. Like, you have never heard of Penny Schmidt, and you probably never will. But to me, she's the greatest, because she's a servant. I see the same thing play out with my kids. All right, we, we, uh, we lost uh, Rachel Larson last January, a, a great part of our body. She was my girl's Penny Schmitz. My, my girls cried when I told them that Rachel passed away. Why? She wasn't like super prominent. She didn't preach sermons up here. But she held them as babies and she taught them the Bible. And they cried because to them, Rachel's the greatest. The greatest among you is going to be your servant. It's, it's Chad Barth in the back. It's Bill Stooks in the back. It's Tom Egger in the back. They're the first to enter the building this morning. They make sure the mic batteries were all on, that the lights were all on. They're the greatest. The greatest among you is going to be your servant. It's the parking lot guys. Showing up this winter on the snowy days, you know, when many of us stay home and use snow as an excuse, it's those guys who brave the roads to get here early to shovel out parking spots for you, just in case you come. The greatest is the servant. It's the moms last summer who gave up a week of vacation. They took off of work for a week, a week of vacation, to stay in a cabin with eight kids. Took a vacation for this, to get little sleep, to play field games, to wipe noses, and to comfort homesick kids. Who does that? Crazy people do that. <laughs> Servants. And they're the greatest among us. See, when we're all plugged in, collectively using our gifts and going after the mission, I promise you, not even the gates of hell will have a chance at stopping that. That's the body of Christ. That's the only hope for this world. I hope you're in. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. 
hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.